Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host Connor Bromley and I'm joined today by my good friend Ned Keating and we've got a lot to talk about but of course there is only one place to start the Carabao Cup final yesterday Liverpool winning the game 1-0 after extra time and it was a it was a controversial game we're going to talk about all the major points the VAR calls Liverpool's team selection um, maybe even a little bit on the Gary Neville situation which Mauricio Pochettino mentioned in his press conference yesterday there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Carabao Cup but we'll, we'll start with Virgil van Dijk getting the winner header from a corner um, do you think that was the right result after two hours of play? I think on the balance, yes. Um, yeah, you know, Chelsea, for whatever reason, both in the match itself, they seemed to start slow and sluggish and Liverpool had the better of the early exchanges. Uh, and in extra time, Liverpool seemed to be the more, you know, I wouldn't say dominant, but definitely the better side throughout. Chelsea just seemed to, I don't know what happened to them. Um, you know, maybe they were tired themselves and, and, and they were kind of playing for penalties from the start of of. Uh, extra time um, but they just weren't at it in that period as well so I think kind of if you look at the game on the whole and you probably would say that while Chelsea maybe had the better chances um, I've not looked at the XG but I suppose from the chances that Chelsea had you know that that one in the first half that really really stands out where Cole Palmer had his shot brilliantly blocked by Kevin Kelleher and then Wataro Endo putting in a fantastic block to, to stop Nicholas Jackson following home with the rebound I'd say Chelsea's XG without looking at it may have been higher but actually I think on the whole balance of play and the whole game itself I think Liverpool were definitely well worth their victory um, and you know a tremendous victory it was for Liverpool given you know you kind of we saw it during it we, we talked about it last week on the podcast and everyone spoke about it in the warm-up so it's kind of been done to death but and and it didn't need hammering home but you looked at that bench uh, for Liverpool not the bench sorry but behind the bench where the, the players that were injured were all sat and you know you could see the cast list there of, of glittering names that were absent for Liverpool and and even um, you know some other names that, that weren't sat around them perhaps as well or some of the other tweets that we saw over the weekend as well that mentioned the injured players for Liverpool there was one that I saw had forgotten about poor old Joel Matip as well left him off of it as well um, so even then that injury list is so long and been so lengthy for so long that you start to forget other players that, that were injured for Liverpool but um, you know that, that kind of really hammered at home when you could see Salah sat there Darwin Nunez Shaboshlai Trent Alexander-Arnold all sat around and Liverpool still managed to go and win a cup final against uh, a squad that was you know so expensively assembled um you know, speaks volumes for the character of both sides. And, and in that respect, I think then if, if you're looking at the character of both sides, uh, you know, I think that the right result won out in the end. The, the side that showed more hunger, more fight, more desire was was Liverpool for me. And, and that proves, I think, in the end result. Talking about Chelsea, you know, their first, you mentioned before that the start of the game, but the first half an hour was so poor. I think Liverpool in some ways would probably feel if with regret if they didn't win the game in the end that they didn't capitalize on that first half hour because the strongest Liverpool were in the game really was the start of the game because that's before they had to make substitutions and and bring on a lot of younger players you know that was the time really for them to take control of the game and Chelsea was so poor in those you know initial throws of the game you, can you think of a reason why you know they they were coming to this final and look so disjoint, disjointed and so almost disorganized I think you could put that down for the, the whole season in general, really, that 
consistently inconsistent I think with Chelsea we've never seen I, you know I, I mean I can say now we've never seen the true Chelsea this year but we don't know what the true Chelsea is under Mauricio Pochettino because they have been so consistently inconsistent and they come into the final with you know a little bit of momentum behind knocking out Villa out of the FA Cup um, you know performing so well so admirably so brilliantly at City the week before in the league and you're kind of thinking okay you know maybe it's taken time for Pochettino to get his ideas over and everything else uh, and now it's starting to finally click for Chelsea and then as you say there that, that first half an hour they were still on the team bus I think the way that they were playing um, and you're right you know that Liverpool team look as long as that injury list is and yes you know you would love to have going into a final you would love to have you know even just one of you know Salah or Trent or Shaboshlai available and all three of them were out injured amongst others as well you know um, any one of those three would have improved that starting 11 for sure but that wasn't a bad starting 11 for Liverpool was it you know um, you know all, all aside from Harvey Elliott I think all full internationals as well that started the game for Liverpool so it wasn't exactly you know we, we talk about it being a, an extensive injury list and yes you know that starting 11 maybe was probably more akin to a team a little bit further down the Premier League table than one currently challenging for the title because of those injuries those those first team those key players still a good start in 11 all the same and then obviously as you said there it was when the kids came on that you kind of felt that this is where it would kind of come away from Liverpool and they would have had to you know the surprise is for sure definitely that they they won it when the kids were on the pitch when they were a little bit more inexperienced where you know Chelsea's experience should have shown through in the end um, but I, I think that probably should have told us what was to come that the mentality wasn't there from Chelsea that they should have been there from the off at it from the off it's a cup final if you're not up for that when are you ever going to be up for it so it shouldn't have been a surprise that Chelsea really weren't able to raise their game once Liverpool's youngsters came on and they were playing against the under 18s rather than the first team Um, and that you know is it a surprise no it probably shouldn't because we know that these issues have been there throughout this squad throughout the campaign you know there's a reason why they've spent you know over a billion pound on players and they're still languishing around mid-table teams like Wolves who we probably both on this podcast at the start of the season tipped to go down given the disarray that they were in in the summer and Wolves are now above Chelsea in the table definitely having a much better season than Chelsea you know it's not just the cup final that highlights that there is a mentality issue at Chelsea I think the whole season shows that there is one and you know they're not recruiting the right characters I think you know again you go back to that Liverpool squad and I don't think you could doubt the characteristics and and you know the mentality you know Jurgen Klopp always calls them mentality monsters even for those kids that came on you know we're talking teenagers that are getting their first not just a first cup final first taste of first team football and they're doing it at Wembley and they're getting used to it or you know at Anfield in the week and helping them come from behind uh, against Luton in the Premier League and and that mentality clearly stems from the top down at Liverpool and I think for Chelsea they they just have an issue with that and, and that showed itself at the weekend Okay, we're, we're seven minutes in now. I haven't talked about VAR. I do want to talk about other areas of this final and, and talk more about Liverpool for sure. But there was three major decisions. Um, I'm interested to hear your take. So the first one, Moises Casiedo on Ryan Gravenberch, a, a nasty-looking tackle. It looked innocuous, to be fair, live, but then when you see the replay and you see it slowed down, pretty nasty-looking looking challenge. The second one, Chelsea's disallowed VAR goal for offside. And then the third one, the the Virgil van Dijk first goal that was disallowed. It's not the goal he actually scored, but he did score earlier in the game. So we'll start with the potential red card challenge. 
what's your verdict on that one? Was it a red? Was Casillo lucky? It's one of those that if the blue card, uh, for all it's been much maligned since they've mentioned that they were going to bring a blue card in, I think actually this is probably the perfect blue card example almost. Um, it did endanger an opponent, so by that merit it should be a red card. But you look at Caicedo's movement um, and where he's looking at that point, you know, everything looks terrible in slow motion, but what it allows you to see is that actually at that moment he, he doesn't have a clue where he's putting his foot. And we've seen this season at Chelsea, he's not the player that maybe we thought he was at, at Brighton where he looked so clued up and linked in and knew exactly what he was doing at every single moment. He can have these, um, especially when he's in possession as well. I know that this occurred whilst he was trying to win the ball back, but in possession as well, he does look a little bit um, like he's not sure what he's doing at all times. And I think that that moment high highlighted it you know have we seen red cards given for that in the past yes you know should the fact that he is not fully you know aware of what he's doing should that you know should that draw away should that make it only a yellow you know again he's endangering an opponent but you do feel that in that instance he wasn't he doesn't know where he's going to plant his foot and he doesn't expect Paul Gravenberg to have his foot there as well and planted and everything else in that instance maybe it would have been a blue card you know maybe this idea of sending him to a simbin for 10 minutes look you've been naughty don't do it again okay but I understand that actually it probably wasn't malicious in its intent so maybe you know as, as much maligned as it has been maybe that would have been a perfect example for the blue card had it been in place full of fire Final. Um, for the Sterling goal, I always find with offsides that, you know, and, and it will come on to the, and, and it kind of, it will feed into the Virgil van Dijk goal as well, is that with, uh, you know, VAR, we were told that it was for clear and obvious errors. Surely we've got to make that little bit line a little bit thicker, like, you know, does it, does it look like a clear and obvious error? I don't think it does. You know, is it clear and obvious? You know, automatic offsides is something that they're looking to introduce. It's something that's seen very much in uh, UEFA competitions at the minute. I think that's a positive step and it has to go to that. I think we have to have automatic offsides. I think if there is the opportunity for that technology to be there, well, then we're not talking about this today. You know, the, the it will prove one way or the other he's offside or he's not if automatic offsides were there. Um, and, it, and it would definitely get rid of that grey area because there are, you know, I mean, there's so many. I mean, you know, I can remember when towards the start when VAR uh, came in in the Premier League and, and I think... Uh, my beloved Tottenham were at home to Sheffield United. I think David McGoldrick might have been offside by like a little bit of a toe. The to- like his little toe was offside or whatever, or like a tiny fraction of his big toe and that was given as offside. You know, that 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 wouldn't have been happened back in the day. You know, if it was automatic offside, they wouldn't have, they might not have registered, might not have picked up, but either way, we can't argue with it because the technology is there and, and it's so, you know, kind of, yeah, accurate with how it, describes the offside that it knows down to the kind of smallest millimetre so we can't kind of moan about it there if we had automatic offsides but we don't so we're allowed to have this conversation this morning and to finish the rant on the third one we've seen so many examples the issue with this here is the consistency we've seen so many examples of this um, you know you look at other teams as well Arsenal are good at, at kind of you know starting offside coming back offside and, and kind of interfering with play but their goals are kind of standing even if the players are there and they're kind of disrupting the defensive line and everything. Do I think Levi Cole would have got back to stop Van Dyke? I don't think so. I mean, you had this discussion last night and I think the only way he, he gets to that ball first is that he's seven foot tall. Does it put Van Dyke off? Possibly, but I think Van Dyke is, is someone who kind of follows the ball throughout. So I don't know if that would put him off. I think he had his eyes on the balls throughout um, and I, I still think he would have headed it home. 
But the point I've got here, and, and this is what I would do to make VAR better, is would Chelsea have challenged that? You know, if it was a system similar to, you know, cricket where you get reviews and tennis where you get reviews as well for decisions that you think actually, you know, you've got the decision wrong there. Would Chelsea have actually challenged that decision? You know, I mean, the chances are is that, you know, every time, you know, the issue with this, of course, is is that, you know, goals are so few and far between in games. It's not like, you know, tennis, you get, you know, there's so many decisions in every single set that kind of lead up to that point. You know, every every shot is almost on the line. That's where the tennis players aim for. And likewise, in cricket, you get 11 wickets or 11 chances. You know, there's, there's multiple ones. In football, it's very finite, very small um, window. You know, there's, you know, we do see big games. I know, um, you know, what is it? Uh, Mansfield stuck nine past Harrogate the other week. There are games where you do get lots of goals. Of course they are, but majority are one or two goal games. So this idea of reviews might need a little bit of tweaking, but would Chelsea have, have reviewed that if they had a review, knowing that if they couldn't, they would have lost that review. Would they have saved that review for something else? You know, was it a clear and obvious error, basically? Would Chelsea have viewed it as a clear and obvious error? And I think the way that the players were, I don't think many of them were, you know, on the pitch at least, many of them were, uh, you know, kind of appealing to the referee saying, rule this goal out. And because of that, I don't think it was a clear and obvious error. And I don't, you know, like I say, we see this week in, week out in the Premier League and it, you know, most teams get away with it. If we're ruling goals out for that, we're going to start ruling a lot of goals out. And I think the way that you kind of look at making VAR better on the whole is bringing in this idea of a review system. Would Liverpool, had that Chelsea goal stood for Raheem Sterling and there was no, you know, we're going to go off and we're going to check it on VAR and we're going to be really analytical with it now. Would Liverpool have, have, you know, you look back to those appeals and would Liverpool have appealed that decision? Would they have used the review up for that? I don't know because I don't think the players were appealing it that much. And likewise with the Chelsea um, team, would they have appealed the Van Dijk goal as well? Um, would they have used the review against that? That's where I think VAR needs to go to improve. I think we need to look at a review system in football. Not only would that speed it up because then it will reduce the number of, hopefully the number of VAR reviews in a match as well. But equally then, you know, it kind of stops VAR re-referee in the game you know Chris Kavanaugh was in the middle yesterday um, but all those big decisions were taken away from him because it was made by someone in the room at Stockley Park rather than on the pitch we go to a review system it gives that autonomy back towards more back towards a referee I think at least um, so it's it's one of those I, I think VAR you know it was, it was going to happen at some point in the cup final um, and it, you know the fact that it's taken until 2024 for it to happen maybe is a good thing but again it needs looking at needs tightening needs refining um, and I think a review system you know definitely for both you know Raheem Sterling's goal and uh, Virgil van Dijk's goals that were ruled out I think it would maybe have had a different impact on those if we had a review system in place See I think the first the red card my view on that one is that's a subjective decision. I think like you get a hundred people in a room and they'd all have a different opinion on whether or not that was a red card. So I think you stick with the on-field decision for that. The offside goal that Chelsea scored, I actually think the linesman flagged it, didn't he? I'm pretty sure because I'm sure Mike Dean on commentary was saying that it was the referee had the linesman had flagged it. Um I think it's impossible to tell though. You would think that the camera at Wembley for a big final, they would have a camera that would show that in a, in a better light. And I think that's a, a flaw for VAR is the fact that they don't have the perfect camera set up when they should. If they're going to have this in place, you should have a camera on the halfway line that can see that. Um, the Van Dyke one, I actually think was an offside because Endo isn't trying to play the ball, is he? He's got no, he's not looking at the ball. His only objective is to block the Chelsea man. He does that from a, an offside position. And we are guessing to say that Colwell couldn't head it. So I think, they actually got that one right. So 
I'm probably going to venture to say they got all three right. But it's the it's the instance of consistency. We see that happen week in week out in the Premier League. You know, Arsenal do it regularly, and they're not the only ones. Liverpool do it as well. Clearly, that's what we saw at the weekend. Yet those goals stand in the Premier League. There's no, oh, we're going to check that on VAR. You know, we can go back and I'm, I, do you know what? I would actually venture that, yes, I'm name checking Arsenal and Liverpool here as being two of the biggest culprits, but actually I'd, I'd probably venture that, that probably every single team in the Premier League has used that tactic at least at some point this season and it hasn't been given offside against them. Whether or not they've scored, different matter. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's not too many goal scoring teams down near the bottom of the league, but, you know, maybe with set pieces they might do better. But I, you know, that is a tactic that is well used amongst teams and we've, we don't see goals ruled out for that very often. Um, and yet we arrive now at the big game and, and consistency is all you ask for, I suppose. And the difficulty there is, is that every referee is different and they will view it differently. Um, but, you know, it has to be now something, the precedent has been set there so that if we see, you know, in the FA Cup this week or if we see in the Premier League this weekend, a similar goal being scored and a similar circumstance happens and there is a potential offside, that goal has to be ruled out now because the precedent has been set there that we've seen that, oh, well, if that happens, well, we can't allow that goal. You know, that's where the consistency has to follow. Yes, every referee is different and they will view things, as you said there, everything is subjective with referee, of course it is, but they have to be consistent now in that we've seen the precedent set that this situation in which players offside or coming back from an offside position block a, a defender from potentially getting to a ball, that's not a goal. That can't be allowed anymore. And we have to see that ruled out consistently. Like I say, we'll probably see it in the FA Cup of the Premier League this week that a goal will stand because the consistency doesn't exist there, unfortunately. That's, that's the issue with refereeing. No, I see that. And I do, you do see that happen, all, particularly in the lower levels when there is no VAR. It's such a hard thing to referee on the pitch as well because it's, it's off the ball, isn't it? And the referee's looking at, you know, where the action... I mean, the referee and the linesman are looking at Van Dijk heading the ball and they're not necessarily looking at the blocker. Anyway, we're done with VAR now because that, that took, I think, about 10 minutes. So we'll uh, we'll move on. We'll continue talking about the game, though. Um, I mean... <laughs> Do you think with, we've talked about the the age of the Liverpool team by the end of the game. Obviously at the start of the game, Liverpool had a pretty strong team up. But do you think coming into the end of 90 minutes, Chelsea were dominant. You know, Conor Gallagher probably should have scored at least once. Uh, they were the team that was really, really pushing to, to win that game. And for me, an extra time, it just felt inevitable that Chelsea were going to try and find a goal. Do you think right now the regret with Pochettino and that whole Chelsea team is that, you know, they were... I would say embarrassing in that extra time period because it was pretty pathetic that Liverpool's teenagers who came on were able to more than match Chelsea. No, 100%. You know, and again, you look at who, you know, I know that those players coming off the bench, you know, some of them were on earlier than extra time and, and may have been a little bit tight going into it. But again, you know, most of the, that Chelsea bench were or, or are full internationals for their national team. You know, you look at who did who who was experienced that Liverpool could bring off their bench. Joe Gomez and Costa Simicas and the rest of them are all currently academy graduates, you know, all youngsters, all trying to make their name and make their way in football. Um, you know, I would describe 
that Liverpool team going into uh, into extra time, I was describing to my friends as one of those that you'd see on a pre-season tour where an international tournament is still going on. So you've got a smattering of players that their countries didn't even qualify or they've been knocked out earlier in the competition. And then you've got the youngsters to kind of fill in the spaces where you've got the gaps in your squad. That's what that team was. It was a pre-season team playing extra time against, you know, not Chelsea's strongest 11. Of course, they were without Thiago Silva. They were without their captain, Rhys James. Now there's an argument whether or not Mal Augusto is actually a better right back than Reese James, but we won't have time for that on this podcast. But that was still a very, very strong and very expensively assembled Chelsea squad. So that should have been seen. You know, it was men against boys. It literally was men against boys. And Chelsea should have been able to see to that and see to them. But again, I think it goes back to that hunger and the desire. And yeah, they should absolutely be embarrassed, but I don't think they will be because I don't think that they have that mentality or that character within their squad. That isn't in their nature. That is the, there's a reason why they lost that final. It's because their character and their mentality isn't right. And that's probably the reason why they're not actually feeling that embarrassed this morning. You know, you look at full-time whistle and you see their reactions to how they lost and it just looked like any other defeat for them. They were just, you know, oh, damn it, we've lost again. Sad, upset, we go again. I know it's not the biggest cup in the world, but it's still a cup. It's still the first cup of the top bowling era or it would have been for Chelsea. It would have been a great thing for them to celebrate, but they just, you know, I just think the way that they looked and appeared and approached the game, I think mentally, and I think, you know, that was what let them down yesterday. And, and that's the reason why Liverpool got the win. They, mentality monsters, like we said earlier. You know, that's something that Jurgen Klopp's described the team as. And we thought he was just talking about the first team. But clearly it's something that, that runs throughout the club, that even the youngsters have this strong mentality. And that's something that Chelsea need to find. You know, it isn't about buying the best players, I think, in the summer or whatever, you know, splashing the cash and heads go and find the right characters instead. So that instances like yesterday where they get embarrassed and humbled by a group of kids never ever happens again for that team because it shouldn't the money that they spent it absolutely shouldn't that leads us very nicely into Gary Neville who after the game or pretty much at full time wasn't it called Chelsea billion pound bottle jobs now that that felt it felt harsh and it felt I don't know from a former pro to say that and somebody of Gary Neville's standing in the the football world that felt like a really really strong comment when Mauricio Pochettino um, sort of bit back at that after the game but what did you make of that because it sounds like you agree from what you've just said there that they are billion pound bottle of jobs so what do you make of somebody like Gary Neville saying it the job he's in I'm not saying look Gary Neville is not a renter god of course he isn't but as a pundit you know you do have to say you know the genesis of what he said is correct of course the facts and how he delivered it um you know verging on the hyperbole perhaps you know he was maybe a bit um, you know took a lot of dramatic license with what he said there I think and and kind of used it but the genesis of what he said is correct you know that Chelsea team should have been there from the off if they pushed that Liverpool team up this is the thing as well you know they should have been there from the off yesterday knowing that the Liverpool team that started the game was that strongest Liverpool side. There wasn't anyone to come off the bench. You know, I know every you know every time we start a cup final, it's the strongest team. Of course it is, but there was no one to come on the bench to change the game for Liverpool. You know, Costa Simicus and Joe Gomez at fullback is not going to change a game for you by and large. It might do once or twice a season. It isn't going to do it every other week. Liverpool didn't have game changes on their bench. That should have been a sign to Chelsea just to go at them from the off, attack them from the off, and tire them out from the off. Because on our bench. 
okay, maybe they don't have game changers as well, but they've got guys that are a little bit more experienced, you know, kind of, who would I rather want coming off the bench? Mikhailo Mudrik or Bobby Clark? I would have said Mikhailo Mudrik before yesterday. Actually, now looking back on it, I would have taken Bobby Clark. Bobby Clark showed more hunger and desire. And again, I know I keep saying that this morning, and I sound like I probably need to go away and have something to eat afterwards, the amount I'm saying hunger. But the hunger and desire in that Chelsea squad was severely lacking yesterday, which then ties back in with what Gary Neville said, calling them blue billion pound bottle jobs, being spot on. <laughs> a stronger team wins that, you know. Liverpool do not win that final if they go up against Arsenal, if they go up against Manchester City. Probably even if they go up against Manchester United. Debatable, I think. But Chelsea let that slip. That was the, because of everything that had happened around it. You know, like Liverpool, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast from my friends at Liverpool Echo after their game uh, yesterday and they were, they were doing it from, from the stands. And I kind of thought, you know, when they said this comment that even if we lost 3-0, I would have been so proud of us today, you know, the way that they played. And you kind of go, yeah, but you lost the final 3-0. And then you go, well, actually, no, because the chips were all against them. Everything was against them and everything was in Chelsea's favour. You know, the open clock was saying beforehand that Chelsea were favourites and you kind of go, no, but Liverpool are going for the title. And then you go, but no, because they don't have their entire first team 11 all out injured in the stands and watching on. This was a game that Chelsea should have comfortably won. We're not talking about a 1-0 scrappy nick it and win it because of that bench, you know. No matter what happened in the game, Liverpool were always going to have to rely on their youngsters to either see a win home or to win a game for them. Chelsea had these very expensive players in that starting eleven and on the bench for them and they still couldn't find a way past, much like we saw them struggle against Spurs earlier in the season when they were playing against nine men and it was just so, it was just so clear. Spurs with nine men were defending such a high line and they couldn't see it, they couldn't work it out. There is something that is fundamentally not there at this Chelsea side and that is the mentality of the team and, and, and kind of how they play the game mentally. You know, I used to speak to football coaches a lot of the time and they said that, you know, you'll get one the players like Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo that are actually just better than everyone else technically but for the rest of them there's not much that, that splits players technically it's it's what happens upstairs so for that that's the issue that, that Chelsea have had they've not got this team around them they've not got the mentality around them to be able to kind of kick on and, and, and take it from there to, to be able to kind of see games through and the disappointment there for them is, is that they'll look back at this and, and you kind of think that they'll need to look back at this and, and you know, use this as, as you know, almost like a rock bottom moment. Will they? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll see how the season goes on. They've still got two chance, uh, one chance, sorry, to, to win a cup competition. They have the opportunity to go out and win uh, the uh, the the FA Cup this year. They have the opportunity to go and win the FA Cup. But, you know, this was a big chance for them. All things considered, a massive, massive chance for Chelsea to go out and win a trophy and they missed it. Um, and given how the deck was in their favour, I think, because of all the injuries that Liverpool were suffering, I think Gary Neville was 100% spot on to call them billion pound blue bottle jobs because that's exactly what they were. The chance was there. They were the favourites. They played against, you know, they played a good... You know, th- I mean, even if you're playing 30 minutes against kids and you're so expensively assembled, you'd like to think that you could get the job done easily enough and they still couldn't. So yeah, Gary Neville, 100% spot on, even if there was a bit of dramatic license in what he said and how he delivered it. Okay, last thing on the final before we'll touch ever so slightly on the Premier League. I know we're out of time, but um, do you think this ranks as Klopp's best final? There's been plenty of rhetoric around that, isn't there? And I think Klopp possibly even said it himself yesterday, didn't he, about it being the best final. Now, I just think that's, I don't know, I think it's good 
words to the press a good headline. I don't think that it's Liverpool's best final win. I think when you win the Champions League, that is the best, no matter what the circumstance of the game. But what do you make of that? Is it? Well, no, but different things mean, you know, he'll look back at, you know, he'll, of course, every time he looks back at the medals that he's won and he'll look at the Premier League um, medal and, you know, that will bring a smile to his face and, and the Champions League medal, that will bring a smile to his face as well. But the story that he can tell for his grandkids when he when he drags out the 2024 League Cup medal and the smile that he'll have, you know, we've we've got things and we've, you know, there's there's probably things that we've done in our lives that are more monumental than others, than, than other things that we've achieved. But there's always one special thing that you kind of look back on and you kind of go, ah, but geez, the story to get to that one. And that's where I think it ranks better for him. You know, the story of Liverpool winning the Premier League title, you know, they weren't pushed hard in that season. They ran away with it. They had a phenomenal start to the campaign. And yes, you know, kind of the story will be uh, they had to win it behind closed doors. And 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 that kind of rankles. They weren't able to to celebrate that with fans. And I think that's that's one thing that that if Liverpool don't win the title this year, I think Jurgen Klopp will regret about his Liverpool tenure that they weren't able to win the Premier League with their fans present at least. You know, the Champions League win, what's the story there? That they uh you know, the story is more the semi-final and 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 that win against Barcelona and how they came from behind. But it wasn't the final itself that was the story in that one. In this game, the reason why he said what he said is because, you know, even even in his career, this is probably one of the best wins of his career because everything was against the Liverpool side because of the injuries and everything else. And they still managed to find a way to get that win and to, to win the cup for Jurgen Klopp and for Liverpool and for their fans as well. And, you know, that's that's why it's special because it it's the story, it's the journey of how they got there and it's how they arrived at it. It's not, you know, he's won Premier Leagues, he could win the Premier League again this year, he's won the Champions League with Liverpool. Yes, you're right, he's won more prestigious competitions with Liverpool. But it's this medal he will look at and he will smile and he will remember the story of that game and he will probably remember the entire 90 minutes of that game as well. And it's, it's, it's the emotions that it will generate. And for sure, you know, how does it compare to the 2022 League Cup? This one definitely is has got a more special place in his heart. How does it compare to the 2022 FA Cup win? Again, a more special place in his heart. You know, I, 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 when you when you look at the emotional attachment, I definitely understand what he means. You know, he's he's, he's won bigger competitions with Liverpool for sure, but I think the emotional attachment is there, and that's what he means in this instance. By it's his most special win. It's a shame that it wasn't one of the younger lads that scored because even though it is the, the rhetoric of these young kids, it was a 70 odd million pound centre back that scored the winner. So, you know, there was there was money spent on that team. Anyway, we'll talk very briefly about the Premier League. Arsenal, big win against Newcastle. Just touch on that a little bit, but also defeat for Manchester United against Fulham. Um, I said last week that Man United wouldn't get top four. And I, I felt very, very... Uh, proud of my prediction last week when I saw Fulham score in the 96th minute or whatever it was. Um, but just touch on those two for us, Ned. Are you getting Alex Awobi tattooed across your chest? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, take, uh, I'll see you down a tattoo parlour this week at some point, just getting that. But again, with Man United, you know, we spoke about Chelsea being consistently inconsistent this morning. And, and again, with Man United, thinking that they might have turned the corner that are charging towards the top four. Uh, and again, taking several steps back after one step forward. And again, giving themselves work to do uh, as they look to, to close down. You know, Aston Villa, again, you know, we spoke about them. We kind of thought that they might drop away in the top four race, but Villa look like now that they're the favourites for it again. Um, so, you know, the title race will be exciting. The top four race will be exciting to look at. Arsenal at the minute uh, the perfect response for them uh, after the Champions League disappointment in midweek and you know the Premier League at the minute 
you know, this is something that we've spoken about, how Arsenal seem to have turned it on in terms of an attacking sense, um, you know, in, in, in the Premier League, at least. I know they didn't score in uh, Porto in the Champions League in midweek, but in the Premier League, they just seem to have really, really found this goal-scoring touch. And that was probably the missing ingredient, we think, for them in the first half of the season, or first half or so of the season, you know, before the start of uh, 2024. They, they look to be lacking that kind of clinical edge in front of goal, and they definitely seem to have found it. The only issue, the only worry that you'd be for Arsenal fans is, um, you know, whether or not they might be using up too many goals at this stage. You know, just two ones will still be fine. But again, that's what they were doing earlier on in the season. So maybe they've you know got a few goals in reserve that they saved up from from not getting big wins earlier in the campaign and now they kind of can use them um and i think that's definitely a scary thing for manchester city and liverpool in the title race uh because again like i said you know there's there's not been too many question marks i don't think about defense this year um and it has been really strong for them uh, one of the best defensive records in the premier league but they were lagging a little bit behind their title rivals in terms of goals scored um and it now seems that they've definitely kind of uh, found a way to find the back of the net with alarming regularity um and you know the thing is is that if you're scoring goals for fun that's just going to build confidence more and more as you go towards the the kind of business end of the campaign and you'll be flying high. You know, yes, you can win games 2-1 and 1-0 and here and then grind them out. And, you know, that, that shows that you've got a great winner's mentality, but equally all the same, you know, smashing teams for fun, you kind of, you kind of get the feeling that you're not going to drop points or lose games because you know you've got enough goals within you uh, and your defence is that tight that you'll be able to see through any, any team and, and any situation you find yourself in. I feel like I just need to mention Wolves just because they won at the weekend. Up to eighth, Gary O'Neill. We mentioned you mentioned it, I think, a little bit at the start how difficult a job he's had, you know, coming in there in the summer. Um when uh, Julian Lopetegu left and now they've, you know, top eight at the minute, ahead of Chelsea, ahead of Newcastle, I think, as well in the Premier League. So really impressive for them uh, this season. You've written here in the plan, should Gary O'Neill be contender for manager of the year? For me, that award is sitting there waiting for Rob Edwards when he keeps looting up in the Premier League Uh, but that's all we've got time for today Ned thanks everyone for listening thanks everyone for joining us today and we'll catch you again later this week 